Happy Sabbath all. It's time for our uh, scripture reading on uh, Second Peter 1, 2 to 4. All stand please. Second Peter 2 to 4. Grace and peace to Grace and peace be multiplied to you and knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given us exceedingly great and precious promises that through this you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through last. We all sit. Heavenly Father, again, I just come to you asking for your divine mercy and grace, that this sermon may be delivered in the way and manner it should be, that your spirit go before me and your spirit be in me, that you teach me and you put words in my mouth that have not been planned. We thank you, Father, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Throughout the week, I was thinking about this sermon, <laughs> and I said, oh, it's gonna go one way in one direction, and then as I was writing the outline for it, it went completely different than what I had anticipated it to be. Uh, I wanted to talk more about the last part of that verse, but it seemed as, as I went through it that, well, it went to a different direction. <laughs> so more of the beginning of it. But I did make a little comments on the end. But last night I was thinking because it is the last Sabbath of the year, and often, you know, we, as we talked about in our children's story, we do make promises, don't we? So I entitled the sermon, Promises, Promises. You know, we hear promises, you know, all the time that are not kept. You know, when they, we're hearing a lot of promises <laughs> from our political leaders because they're running for office and they're making a lot of promises, but we all know instinctively what is going to happen if we elect them, how many of their promises are going to be kept. <laughs> Very few. But, you know, promises made by, by man, you know, just as they are, promises made by man. And sometimes they're well-intentioned, aren't they? You know, we will do this and this and this, but then other things get in the way. So what are the, I asked Google about the top 10 promises or resolutions made. Can you guess what the first one is? Well, close. That's second. The first one is to exercise more. I made that promise. <laughs> you know how long it lasted? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I have this problem where, you know, I, um, 
I can laugh very easily. My mind is all over the place. And it's something I've struggled with my entire life, even as, as a child. <laughs> I'd have to leave church and go sit out in the front. And so I just ask for your prayers. I go through this because, you know, it's a struggle. It's inappropriate. And it is a struggle for me. And, um, you know, it doesn't do justice to God's word. And so I'm constantly praying that God uh, help me with this, that God overcome this in me. I don't know what the problem is, why it's happening, but it happens. And, you know, I've gotten to the point where I said, Lord, if you don't help me with this, I quit. I give up. I'm not going to do this anymore. You know, but here I am. But anyway, the first one was <laughs> exercise more. The second was lose weight. The third was get organized. Learn a new skill or hobby. Live life to the fullest. How about save more money and spend less? Number seven is quit smoking. Number eight was spend more time with family and friends. Travel more. And number 10, read more. Well, if I were to say to read more, I would have a little bit of a problem because I, I read quite a bit. I don't know how I could possibly read more. The problem I have with reading is, well, I was one of those children, you know, that wasn't any good at sports. I didn't have any friends, so books became friends. So I read and read and read. I'd go to the library and take out a stack of books, bring them back and get another stack. And so the problem I have sometimes is that I will read and forget where I read it from, and so I'll get it mixed up. You know how many people keep their resolutions? <laughs> the number is high. I was, I was surprised at the number. 46% is the number, and I expected it to be much higher. 46%. And they use the word only in front of it. That means 54% fail. 54%. And there's also the non-resolvers. Non People did not make a New Year's resolution, but had a goal they wanted to achieve that year. You know how many achieved their goal? And I don't understand how this is, but only 4% of non-resolvers were successful in achieving their goals. A far bleaker result than those who did make a New Year's resolution. Most only last a few weeks at most, a few days, in some cases, only hours.
Jesus said in Matthew 26, 41, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The disciples gave evidence earlier in the night of their willingness of mind. You know, we know the story there in the garden. It turned to Matthew 26. Verses 33 to 35. Chapter 26, 33 to 35. And if we read further on, we see that they all forsook him and fled. But they had fully intended to follow Jesus. Reading from Steps to Christ, you know, it, it writes there on, on page 47, many are inquiring, how am I to make a surrender to myself to God? You desire to give yourself to him, but you are weak in moral power and slavery to doubt and controlled by the habits of your life of sin. Your promises and resolutions are like ropes of sand. We cannot control your thoughts, your impulses, your affections. The knowledge of your broken promises and forfeited pledges weaken your confidence, your own sincerity, and causes you to feel that God cannot accept you. But you need not despair. What you need to understand is the true force of the will. This is the governing power in the nature of man. The power of decision are of choice. Everything depends upon the right action of the will. The power of choice God has given to men, it is theirs to exercise. You cannot change the heart. You cannot of yourself give to God its affections, but you can choose to serve him. You can give him your will. He will then work in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Thus your whole nature will be brought under the control of the Spirit of Christ. Your affections will be centered upon him. Your thoughts will be in harmony with him. There is one promise maker. While we, our promises are like ropes of sand, while we try as we might and try as we will, we often come up short. But there is one promise maker who always keeps his promise. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 18, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us in hope of the eternal life which God who cannot lie promised before, God, before time began. So God has resolved to save us. God has resolved to save us. And these promises of God culminate in the blessed hope, ushering in the second coming of Jesus. And everyone that has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. 1 John 3, verse 3. This is the true hope. This, this is when we have true hope in leads to purification or the sanctification process. And it's based on Jesus as the supreme example. 2 Peter 1.4 says, By which we have been giving to us great and exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these 
you may be partakers of divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Last Sunday, Christmas Eve, we were at the Buckland Mall with Philip and Gladys. And uh, the end of one of the corridors, I think it was the second floor, Phil, am I right? There's an escape room. Some of you may have seen these. And I noticed there was a game, a table game called Escape Room. And they have a little question in the front. What you have to do is you have to solve the puzzles in order to you know, get more clues and to escape the room in a certain amount of time. And uh, you know, the question on the window this time, they always have a question on the window as an example of the type of questions you must, you know, puzzles you must solve in order to get to the next clue. I, I believe it was, how do you make seven even without adding any numbers? And of course, I couldn't figure that. I don't have that kind of brain power. <laughs> but Gladys solved it, I think, very instantly. You just square it to 49, and it becomes even. You square it. Thankfully, the plan of salvation, we don't have to answer any tricky questions. God has provided a way of escape with every temptation. He's given us a way of escape and a means of escape. Jesus Christ is our way of escape. He knows how to help us in times of temptation, how to times of trial. He knows what to do. And he is able, he is more than able to help. So this year, I invite you when you're tempted and tried to go to Jesus. That's how the great patriarchs kept themselves. The great patriarch Joseph kept his mind on God. David declared, my heart is fixed. I shall not be moved. He took his eyes off of God. When he took his eyes off of God, that's when he fell into great sin. 2 Peter 1.4 says, By which we have been given us great, exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And there are two views on this verse. One, in verse, in verse um, let me turn there, 5 through 7. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7. For this very reason, given all diligence to add to your faith virtue and to virtual knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, abound you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see these moral attributes, and it could be referring to that, or it could be the believers will receive the immortality the believers will receive at the second coming. But I personally think it refers to both. You see, the promise of the gospel, the promise of the gospel is to make us better husbands, better wives, better children. The gospel should ennoble us, should elevate us. 
There are those who preach a gospel that says, well, once you receive it, you don't, it doesn't matter what you do. I don't read that anywhere in the scripture. You can continue on sin, they say. And still go to heaven. But Jesus came to save his people from their sins. Jesus can cleanse us from, forgive us, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And his robe of righteousness will never cover man's sin. We must confess it. So naturally, we must ask ourselves a question. What are these precious promises? And if you look carefully at the Greek pass in the Greek passage, it may be translated promised blessing. We have this promised blessing, referring to the fulfillment of the promises rather simply than simply the promises as such. It is without doubt refers to all the divine assurances that are fulfilled in man's salvation. In 2 Peter 3, verse 13, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct in godliness? We see here the word promise. Verse 13, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We find the word he used may have a special reference to the second coming and its attendant glory in which all the divine promises find satisfying fulfillment. But there's more. Peter mentioned that believers may be partaker of the divine nature that is restored fully to the image of God, which man, of course, lost. Adam was created in the image of God. My brothers and sisters, let us realize that Satan is a destroyer. It was God who set up the family. Satan says it can be something else. It was God who gave us the day of worship. Satan says it could be something else. John 10, verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Satan is a destroyer, but Christ is the restorer. He came that the image of God may be restored in man. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that mean? What is good and acceptable? That you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We are to continually resist being conformed to the values and outlook of the world that is often at odds with the good, acceptable, and pleasing will of God. Remember, Satan will tell us the exact opposite. And sometimes, though, he tells us things that are so close. And we may think, oh, that is an acceptable way to deal with this situation. The church is not immune to this sophistry. We're not immune to it. We are struggling at times how to be relevant in a world that says God's word is not relevant. Or they want to change God's word to meet up with the demands of the culture. And when that occurs, God's word becomes weakened. Satan well knows this. For without the transforming power, which alone can come through God's word, the original propensities to sin are left in the heart and all their strength to forge new chains and to impose a slavery that could never be broken by human power. It's only by the word of God that we can be sanctified. And if it's diluted, if it's changed, if it's altered, then it loses its sanctifying ability. The world is often at odds with the good, acceptable, or pleasing will of God. Notice this also, that word transforms. I can't pronounce it in Greek. I'll try. Metamorphosis. And if anybody out there knows how to pronounce that, and I'm sure there are plenty of people who do, I'm sure I could get butchered for my pronunciation. But that's okay. Because I'm going to explain here what its tense is present. It's in the present tense, which means the action is in the now. He wants to change you now. Not tomorrow, not next year. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. But its voice is passive. And that means that the person receives the action instead of performs it. You and I cannot change the heart, but there is one who can. And its mood is imperative. And that is, it is as it is a command. It is done. Renewing of the mind. We are to be changed, transformed as a caterpillar. Its very cellular structure is changed as it's in the cocoon and it comes out, that beautiful butterfly. And it always tells that we are to be changed and our minds are to be renewed. That is, to have the mind of Christ. How do we have this mind? It is done by the Holy Spirit. A new heart will I give you. That is, he will give us a new mind, the mind of Christ. 
just as we cannot perform heart surgery on ourselves. We cannot inject the anesthesia and go to sleep and then take the scalpel and other tools that we need to open up the chest, perform a thoracotomy and do a heart surgery on ourselves. That would be impossible because we would be, well, we'd be asleep. We cannot perform heart surgery ourselves. We cannot obtain the new mind by effort. It is something that has to be done by someone else. In this case, by the Holy Spirit who instills in us the mind of Christ. So another year is drawn to a close. Many will make resolutions. Most will fail. This new year, let Christ in you, who is the hope of glory, perform in you that which he has promised. That is, to be transformed into his image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Father God, dismiss us with your blessing, and may we be found at the foot of the cross. And may our minds and hearts and lives be transformed from glory to glory, because we are beholding him who loved us so and gave himself for us. And in his name we pray, the name of Jesus. Amen.